Welcome to the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Arizona Cardinals and ESPN broadcaster Dave Pash. This week, we discuss the Arizona Cardinals 2022 season with Justin Pugh, Cardinals offensive lineman. Justin was a first-round draft pick out of Syracuse, the highest drafted player since Dwight Freeney. Had a good run with the Giants and now entering year five with the Cardinals. But Justin might be at a new position in 2022. He's played primarily left guard. Will he be a center this fall? The fact that Justin's even here is maybe a little bit of an upset. He thought about retiring last year. I lied to everyone last year and said it was going to be my last one. <laughs> now I'm going to take it one year at a time and uh, and go from there. So I'm happy. I'm glad to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I feel good. We'll get into that and much more, including his thoughts on Kyler Murray, Kyler's growth, and what Kyler can become in 2022. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid and free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. And now our conversation with Cardinals offensive lineman Justin Pugh. So, Justin, let's not bury the lead. You and I both went to Syracuse. I mean, that's the big story here. That's what people really want to hear is about your experience attending what we know fondly as the Harvard of Central New York. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of pressure on me, especially doing a podcast, knowing that we come from the media, the best media (laughs) school in in the U.S. So the pressure is on me as a football player to live up to that standard that you and others have trailblazed so well. Well, I heard your press conference the other day, and you handled yourself pretty well, man. So I don't know if – because you were talking about potentially retiring. So I don't know if broadcasting is something you've considered at all. Did you consider it when you were in school at all? I considered it for for a short time there. I've done a little bit of interning in the real estate world, and I like that a lot. I've thought about maybe trying to do both. So we'll see. I I haven't done the broadcast boot camp or anything like that yet. But doing things like this and getting out there and being sure. in front of people, it's tougher as an offensive lineman. If I was a quarterback, they just hand me a six-figure job and put me <laughs> on Sunday night football. You don't really have to do too much. As an offensive lineman, you really got to be good at your job when you're doing yeah. it. And it's, it's a lot tougher because you don't have that name recognition. You're right. I've worked with coaches, quarterbacks, currently working with a former defensive lineman, Dusty Dvorak, who was an All-American at Oklahoma, played for the Bears, worked for a while with Chris Spielman, who obviously played linebacker. So – I don't think you have to be somebody that's a quarterback or a coach. Those have traditionally been the best analysts and obviously the the name and the face recognition. So that draws the big bucks. But you can still do pretty well in this business as an offensive lineman. I think I might be better off behind the scenes doing real estate, just having some good conversations at a golf course after right. a round. That's and, fair. And giving my true opinions because a lot of times now you got to watch what you say. I mean, you say one thing and you're canceled in a heartbeat. So – I might just keep myself out of the out of the limelight for a while once I'm done. When you were at Syracuse, Dick McPherson was still alive, the longtime head coach there and coached the Patriots for a while. Did you get a chance ever to talk with Coach Mack? A little bit. He came and talked to the team. I played with both his, well, his, his one grandson, Mackie McPherson, who was a starting center while I was there. So that was really my big interaction with the family. And then Doug Marone is my head coach, had played under McPherson. So he carried on a lot of those traditions, a lot of those – um, style of, of coaching points, the hard nose, right. running laps, doing up-downs before games. Everyone's looking at us funny while we're doing up-downs. But meanwhile, we go from the worst team in college football my freshman year to the co-Big East champs my last year. So Doug Marone had something figured out. I thought 
he was going to try to make his way back up there, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. So I went to Syracuse and then went back to be their play-by-play guy. When you were there, Matt Park was the play-by-play guy. There was a guy in between us, uh, Mark Johnson, who did play-by-play the year that the basketball team won the national championship. It was a year after I got this job, was the, the mellow Syracuse national championship. But when I was the play-by-play guy in football, Coach Mack was the analyst. And he would swear on the air every game, dropping F-bombs. But and he could get away with it because he's a legend. In central New York, I mean, they, they eat that up. You go, you go anywhere in Central New York, you're going to either have a, a Dick McPherson parking spot reserved for him when I was there, or, or Bayheim. It was with those two guys. Any, yeah. any good restaurant you went to, they had the spot right out front. Those guys were legends. They could almost say anything. It's almost like Charles Barkley now. You can sure. get away with He can say whatever he wants, right. and the people are going to love him regardless. Paul Pasqualoni, who was a longtime coach there, uh, who I think is at Florida now, but he coached in the NFL for a while too. Coach Mack used to go to all the meetings. He'd just sit in the back, and he didn't know how to answer his cell phone. Uh, at the time, I think Mack was probably in his late 70s, and his phone went off. He didn't know the ringer was on in the middle of a meeting. And Coach P, I don't know if you've heard stories about Coach P, Quentin Harris, who is part of the front office here, yeah. played for him and has great stories about just getting yelled and screamed at by Coach P. So he's, P starts yelling and screaming throughout the auditorium. Who is that? Whose phone is that? And it was Mack. And, Mack, and he goes, oh, okay. Like, it was – as soon as he saw that it was Coach Mack, like – He started apologizing Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Paul Pasqualoni, George DeLeon was a coach for Syracuse for a long time, offensive line coach, coach in the NFL, uh, passed away a couple months ago. I don't know if you ever heard about Coach DeLeon, but he did a really good job with offensive linemen for a long time at both the college and professional level. I did. I never had a chance to interact with him because when I had first gotten there, Greg Robinson – Yeah. Um, who also uh, passed away, I'm pretty yeah, sure, yeah. As, of, as, of, as of late. I committed to him my junior year, and that staff had came in and kind of replaced Paul Pascaloni, Coach DeLeon. Um, it was kind of a new regime, and then when I committed to him, they all got fired. Doug Marone came in. So there was that gap in Syracuse where it was a little bit different. Uh, Daryl Gross came in. We kind of had that USC influence. We yep. were trying to be maybe a little bit too uh, flashy for Central New York, and we got back to our roots with Marone. So I didn't have a chance to really interact with a lot of those legendary coaches. Um, Will Hicks, who was the strength coach while I was there, was the one person that was the consistent throughout those eras, and he helped bridge that gap. And he's still there now. He works with a lot of the alumni, and he bridges a lot of those older players with the with the newer generation, and he's done a great job of doing that. Will Hicks, actually, I, my first day with the Cardinals in 2002, I met Steve Keim, and Steve's like, we have a mutual friend. It was Will Hicks because I think Will was Steve's strength coach at NC State. And that's kind of how I ended up with the Cardinals. So when I was going through free agency, Hicksy called me up and he says, hey, Steve Kime called me and he's wondering what type of guy you are. He's like, I put my stamp of approval on you. I know your work ethic. I know who you are as a man. So him and, and uh, my guy Jay Glazer were kind of the two people that knew Kime and got me connected and, and made this place feel like home. Because once I met Kime, it was like talking to myself. We get along real well. Speaking of that, so you had talked recently at a press conference about disappointment with – your contract a couple years ago, things working out now to come back this year. How, how did that go down? How close were you to retiring? When were you, th- were you thinking in the middle of last season, hey, this is going to be it? Or was it something that happened after the season? Then how did you start those conversations up with Steve again? Yeah, so I think before last year, you know, we're going – actually two years ago, 
com- comes to me. I'm going into my fourth season with the Cardinals. I have no guarantees left on my deal. Our, our deals aren't like baseball where it's fully guaranteed. You, you sometimes have two years of guarantees or three years of guarantees. So going into the fourth year, I didn't have any guarantees left. COVID had just happened. The cap was going down, and I knew there was going to be a squeeze. 30-year-old guys who haven't made a Pro Bowl aren't all pros. I mean, I knew I'm, I'm going to be collateral damage at that point. Still really quality starter. can go out there and play good football. There's not many left guards out there that I think are better than me. And Kime comes to me, and he's like, look, you're going to have to take a pay cut or we're going to have to release you. And It's not like they don't want me here. We would love to have you. It's just that the, with the cap going down, we have to make some tough decisions. And here's the number we can be at. If, if you can meet us there, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you on the roster. So I said to my agent, I was like, there's two options here. I mean, either I take the deal or I retire. I'm not playing for another team. And he's like, well, let me just go out and see what else is out there. No, Everyone else is going through the same things. It's not like I'm going to go to another team and all of a sudden the Cardinals have no money because of COVID, but X team is going to be flush with cash. So I thought about before last year retiring. And I never had thought or questioned playing football. Like I said in my press conference, I was, you know, you get a scholarship, I'm going to school for free. You get drafted in the first round, of course you're going to play. Cardinals give you a big contract. There's no reason at any point to question playing football. You really have to question your love when, you're, when they, they, you get a pay cut or they say, hey, you're not one of the top guys, eh, quote-unquote top guys anymore. And you're going to kind of fill a role for this team. We need you to play left guard. You're, you're going to take a 33% pay cut. There's going to be a bunch of incentives to even get to that point. And I really had to question it. And then I, you know, am angry at first. I want to say, screw the Cardinals. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then you think back and you're like, these guys changed my life four years ago. I love being here. I love being part of this team. My family didn't get to come to any of those games with COVID the year before. So I, I didn't get to say goodbye with them. I didn't think it was going to be my last game. So decided to come back and play one more. So during the season last year, I thought, you know what? I got to say goodbye to the game. The last game of the season, I had about 30 friends and family out to it. And everyone was under the impression that, hey, this, this probably would be it. Because going into the, the offseason, I think, again, they're going to come to me with a deal that I don't want to take. And it got to a point where I just texted Kyle and I said, hey, if you want me to play next year, this is the number. This is how it's going to be. And me and him, he's like, all right, I'll call you back tomorrow. And he has to talk to Bidwell, and then we got the deal done. So I lied to everyone last year and said it was going to be my last one. <laughs> now I'm going to take it one year at a time and, uh, and go from there. So I'm happy. I'm glad to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I feel good. And that's the main part. If I didn't feel good or couldn't go out there and play at my best, because last year I played my best football. And I think going forward, I'm going to continue to get better and better. Um, I've kind of got that veteran savvy going right now. So we'll see. I think it one year at a time. What weight did you play at last year? Like 285, 280. And now, it, we played the Rams the first time we played the Rams. I was 278 pounds in that Rams game. So everyone's telling me I'm too skinny right now. And I'm like, I'm four pounds off of the lightest I played at last <laughs> year. And put my film on. If you think it's a problem, put my film sure. on. And the Cardinals obviously watched the film and they're still paying me. So something – I, I got to get the weight back up. But there's, there's – there's, in our offense, we go so fast in the way I play – it, it lends itself. I'm a very aggressive player now as opposed to sitting back and kind of just being like a garbage can. You talked about Aaron Donald. Somebody has to block Aaron Donald. And in that game, you guys did. You blocked him. He, he didn't make – I don't remember if he had any pressures in that game, the first game in L.A. And then obviously things changed, the game here and in the playoffs. What do you think was different – and I'm sure you've been asked this a ton – for not just the offensive line but the offense in general as the season went along, not just – you know, obviously, losing DeAndre Hopkins is a big deal, but what else happened? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Kyler went down. I got hurt. I didn't play in that Monday night game against the Rams. I was still – I came back the following week. Um, 
we have to be better in the biggest situations. We have to do all the little things right because that is what loses you those big games. The the Green Bay game where you know we're eight and zero and we're driving down to beat them and we and we have little mishaps and it didn't come down to that last play of the game. It came down to earlier in the game when we're putzing around out there and, and we fall into a little hole and have to make this miraculous comeback. When you play in those biggest on those biggest stages and the most important games where everything's on the line, you have to execute at the highest level. We're, we were able to get by a lot of times last year just being more talented than everyone we were on the field with. When you get late in the season, guys are dinged up, you're not as healthy as you want to be, it's the little plays. It's doing the little things right where no one even knows you're supposed to make that block or you're supposed to you know, make that check, things like that. That's what wins those games, and that's where we have to get better. And if we don't take those steps, it's going to be the same result. What do you think your role is going to be this year? Because with Rodney Hudson not here, there's been talk that maybe you know Rodney's retired, he's not coming back, we don't know for sure. Is your role going to be center, or are you going to have to play both guard and center? I don't know. I've never played center before in my career, but I've seen guys play center late into their careers. Guard is a, a much more – I don't want to say much more. I mean, playing offensive line is physical throughout. But guard with the amount of pulling and trapping and you're, you're one-on-one more often, center mentally is just – is so much tougher and in our offense the center makes a lot of the calls that's why we prioritize that position every offseason you see we had aq shipley then mason cole and went out and got rodney hudson we clearly value that position so for me it's like if i'm going to keep taking pay cuts at guard maybe i should move to center and see if i can do that because if i can play center at a high level obviously we prioritize that so for me as a business decision it might make the most sense for me to play center but I'll do whatever's best for the team. I've played guard. Playing guard's like riding a bike for me. You can put me out there, and I know what i got to do. So to get some reps at center and see how that shakes out, it's interesting. It's fun. It, it makes you break a mental sweat, and I learn a little bit more. It'll make me better if I want to be a broadcaster because you got to learn coverages sure. and do all those things. So at the very least, it's going to help my broadcasting career. So help the listener that doesn't really understand what a center goes through mentally yeah. and that you're learning through minicamp, and I assume we'll learn even more here between now and training camp. What are some of the differences from a tackle, which you've played in the NFL, to guard, which you've played mostly, and then being a center mentally? Mentally, the tackle doesn't ha- is, is worried about blocking the best pass rusher on the defense. Like, that's why, I mean, everyone's seen the movie The Blind Side. Hey, we're going to put you out there, and you're going to block Vaughn Miller. You're going to block Khalil Mack. The guard is, is a little bit more physical because the tackle on third down earns his money. And we're a passing league, so let's not joke about it. The tackle is the, is the hardest physical right. position to play on the field. Like, any position. They're going backwards while the best athlete on the field is rushing at them full speed. At guard, these guys inside are getting better and better. I mean, Aaron Donald may go down as the best defensive player of all time. And we got to block him. Then we got to pull and block guys. You have to be able to be versatile, move in space. And, and there's a lot of collisions at guard. Center, you're getting up and you're getting everybody aligned. So the guard just relays whatever the center tells them to the tackle, and that's kind of the, the end of the communication. At center, you're looking at safety rotation, trying to see where they're bringing the pressure from, and you're working with the quarterback to get everyone on the same page. Once you ID the defense and get everyone blocking the right guy, then you have to get the cadence from the quarterback and make sure all that's going well. The best centers and quarterbacks are constantly changing up their cadence. I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, he's he's running a master class on it, and that's that's the nuance of playing that position that – I'm not there yet. I'm you know, trying to learn now, but Rodney Hudson had mastered that as well. There's a clip in Tennessee. We're playing the Titans week one. Rodney Hudson realizes they're bringing a zero pressure, changes the mic point, and we're, we start working to a different player. We score a touchdown. Little things like that is what you know goes beyond what you can see on film. You have to be out there and know, like, hey, what scheme are we running? What are you supposed to do? Oh, wait, you saw this coverage switch. It's all about safety rotation. 
and changing a mic point and scoring us a touchdown. So doing things like that is what makes the center position so unique and so important. What are the conversations like with Kyler when you're playing center? So he'll come up and he'll give you the play, and then you're IDing and then getting us on the right page. So Kyler will come up and he'll just give you, hey, here's a run play to the left. Now you have to see, hey, is the safety capping the linebacker? When I say capping the linebacker, is the safety hovering behind the linebacker, which then gives the linebacker an ability to trigger and blitz. Okay, well, if he's potentially able to blitz, we have to work to him as an offensive line. We have to put the offensive blockers on the potential blitzers or rushers from the defense. And so once Kyler gives you the play, UID, get us all on the right page. If they ever outnumber, hey, Kyler, let's check this, or Kyler will be like, hey, we got too many numbers over here to the left. Let's switch it and run a play to the right. And that's one of those things where you're working together to get the offense in the best play. And, and the center has to do a good job of helping Kyler, like, hey, let's check out of this. This is not sure. a good look. We're running. We have four blockers, and they have five blitzers. We're, we don't have enough. It's just simple football math. It's even, at, even with the Syracuse graduation, we can figure that one out. I'm still figuring it out. I'm, I'm, I, didn't go to a, I didn't go to class very often uh, at Syracuse. So give me a sense of Kyler's growth in terms of understanding all those things from year one to what you saw last year to maybe some of the things you've noticed through mini camp. Yeah, it was night and day. I mean, as you come in as a rookie, you're just going off of your skill and your talent. And being the number one overall pick, he had a lot of skill and a lot of talent that has gotten him by since he started playing football when he was young. He's always been more talented than every other guy on the football field. And he was able to kind of play a little backyard. We had some backyard football moments where things break down, he yeah. rolls out, makes a miraculous throw. And we still do that from time to time. It's, it's taking those easy plays that the defense is giving to you. Okay, we have the, the safeties rolled over here. I know we're getting nickel pressure. Let's just dump it out to, the, to Rondell Moore and let him go get five or six yards as opposed to scrambling around, running for like 40 yards, running for your dear life, and making this miraculous throw. Those are the types of things he's gotten better and better at, and it's going to take taking that next step, integrating cadence, integrating audibles and getting us into the best plays. Those are the things that will get us to that next level and it will get us over the hump and it will win us those big games. I saw a tweet from you recently where – you were at, I think, I don't know if it was Top Golf or it was somewhere where you were using the clubs that Kyler gave you guys, right? Yeah. He gave every offensive lineman a set of golf clubs, which is pretty nice. It's, it's, in 10 years, it is the best gift I've ever gotten from a quarterback. And Eli Manning gave some great stuff, but that was the best offensive line guess I've seen. Okay. Because there are a lot of people that say, well, Kyler, we're not seeing the leadership. Kyler needs to grow. He needs to mature. What are some of the things that we don't see that you guys see with Kyler and where he's grown in that regard? Yeah, I mean, first you have to look at it. We have probably the most veteran offensive line in the NFL. I mean, you look across the board. DJ Humphreys in year eight. I'm in year 10. Rodney Hudson's year 12. Kelvin Beecham's year 11. We had Max Garcia start last year, who was year eight or nine. Yeah. Kyler's in his third year in the NFL. I mean, he's, he, it's, he's, he's going against a stacked deck. Like, the offensive line, we're the salty veterans. We're going to be the ones kind of taking that role. And when I was in New York, Eli Manning was not a vocal leader. He was the first one in. He was the last one out. He did everything right. Kyler comes in and he just does every he does everything we asked him to do. Like everyone's getting all bent out of shape. He's missing voluntary workouts. They're voluntary workouts. We weren't here. Like last year with COVID, we didn't have the voluntary. The year before, we didn't have voluntary workouts. Um, there's a finite time for a player with his skill set to get paid. This is a, there's a business to football. Everyone wants to forget about the business of football. And everyone, like, you look at what golf has going on right now, and everyone, everyone forgets about the business of football. And fans don't want to hear about it, and I get it. You want to see us play on Sundays. But at the same time, if Kyler were to go out there and not get paid and then go out there and have an injury and then never get paid, he sacrificed that, that finite period of time to maximize his capital. And 
I'll never blame a guy for doing it. I mean, guys are going to get pissed. He's going to have to deal with the backlash. I was here four years ago, and we didn't have Kyler Murray. You, you, oh, so you remember, was I. You remember that team? I've, seen, that, I've yeah. seen a lot of uh, quarterbacks the, come through this door, Justin, in 21 years. We had the worst <laughs> offense in, I think, NFL history. <laughs> so when Kyler got here, a light went back on. Yeah. A relevance came back on. We started playing primetime games again. Yeah. We've been in the playoffs. We've been relevant. Our fan base has something to look forward to every year. There's something to be said about that. Now, obviously, there's, you know, people don't like the way you look. Look at Eli Manning, the Eli Manning face that's plastered everywhere. Right. No matter what happens, <laughs> you're going to have issues. If someone came and followed you around with a microscope, and I saw Odell Beckham deal with this in New York City. Everywhere you go, you have a camera on you. You're going to do something that somebody's going to have something negative to say, especially in the world we live in now. No matter what you do, they're going to be, have a negative connotation associated with it. So, yes, does Kyler have a mopey attitude on the sidelines from time to time? Yeah, so do I. But they don't have a camera on me when I'm <laughs> sitting there angry after we have a right. turnover or we lose a game. So, that's the one thing. I, I'm, I'll never fault a guy for trying to, to, to cash in on all their hard work. It's interesting. You, what you've said is what Zach Ertz said on this podcast, what J.J. Watt said, Adrian Wilson we had on in the middle of last season said the same thing. And Adrian said, look, I wasn't always pleasant. I was grumpy a lot. I want to win. When we walk down the hallway, Adrian doesn't even say hi to some people. Adrian's <laughs> still got that mean look on his face like you don't even want to talk to him. I'm scared. He's bigger than I am. <laughs> he is. He still is. So the he's guy's a, like 40. Yeah, I know. He's he, a monster. He, he's, he's yoked. Um, one more thing on Kyler. I, I, and you mentioned – not being there for voluntary. He was here for minicamp, and he doesn't have his contract. Like, to me, that says a lot about Kyler as a leader. Like, he understands he's going to be here. They're going to get something done. Like, that's the goal. Everybody's made that clear, obviously. Kyler's going to be a Cardinal for a long time. But the fact that he's been here, when he didn't have to be, and he doesn't have his contract, especially after some things that happened in the offseason, uh, which I'm guessing in some ways he probably regrets with how things were handled from his camp. You don't have to answer that because it's really none of your business. But I, I just feel like that says something to me that he was here. Most people didn't think he was going to be here, at least outside this building. We always run under the impression that he was going to be here. Obviously, he may not be as happy as he would be if yeah. he had the contract, yeah. but he's been here, which just lets you know the two sides are getting closer. If it was if it was further apart and they weren't seeing eye to eye and things weren't close, I don't think he would be here. He's here. He wants to win games. At the end of the day, if we win games, things take care of themselves. And showing that we're working towards that, I think I think it's only a matter of time for this thing gets done. Hopefully, it's done before camp. Yeah. So we just have you know everything in the rear view, and we're going to winning games at that point. What are some of the differences that you've seen with Cliff and how he's grown in his role and how the offense has? changed or I mean the run game clearly is a lot different now than it was year one what are some of the areas you've seen Cliff grow because to me Cliff has always come off as first off if you don't like Cliff Kingsbury it's your problem like yeah. Cliff gets along with everybody he's like the nicest guy there is and he's very smart and he's very humble and the offense looks a lot different than what he had at Texas Tech and I think a lot of people didn't and I did games for him when he was at Texas Tech and I mean the offense is in some ways the same, but a lot of it's different. And a lot of people didn't see him adapting, but he has, and he's winning games, and he's in the playoffs. Yeah, I think what, what Cliff does well is he doesn't micromanage every little situation. He puts people in positions to do their jobs. Cliff loves getting people open. He loves coming up with the pass game concepts. And then he, he has Coach Kugler, our offensive line coach, do a lot of the run game right. stuff. So it's like, hey, Coach Kugler, you've been part of very successful rushing attacks. Bring some of that knowledge. Now, 
sometimes they, they get into it over stuff, and Cliff obviously is the head coach, but I think that's the one thing that I love about Cliff. If he puts you in a position to do a job, he expects you to do your job. And that's something that has shined through. I think in our first year, we were still kind of fine-tuning some things. What do we do well? Every year, an offensive line or an offense, the running backs, you figure out what's the best scheme for you. And that's something that changes every year. With, with Cliff's ability to adjust, that's his biggest strength. He's never going to pigeonhole you into one thing and just kept saying, hey, we're going to keep running this play until it works. All right, that doesn't work. Let's do this. And, and find creative ways to get our ball carriers the ball in space. And that's something that he does better than, than anybody. All right, uh, the running back room. With losing Chase Edmonds, you got you know James Conner obviously coming back, had a Pro Bowl season. You got Darrell Williams. How, how do you see that position shaking out in terms of its effectiveness and any changes that you see there with that group? I think James kind of keeps that that same role, and he uh, will go out there. He'll be short yardage. He'll. He, I mean, I mean, he was getting out in the passing game, doing screens, doing all those things. He was unbelievable. I think a guy to look for is Eno Benjamin. He's looked great in, in uh, minicamp so far. He's probably been our best outside zone running back that we've had on the roster, even last year. And he had to learn how to pass protect, and that was really the only thing. You can't trust the guy to be in the game if you can't trust him to pick up and pass protection. And he's gone night and day from last year to this year. So I think he's going to have a big jump. The new guy from Kansas City, I don't know him too well, yeah. so we'll, we'll learn more. He's a big guy. I think he'll be able to go downhill and help us out there. And then Jonathan Ward's another guy that's always run hard for us. So I'm excited for the running back room. You need guys that are going to run hard, hit the hole, and, and keep it going. And I think we've got a bunch of guys that can do that. Before we get you out of here, what's it like being a husband? You're recently married. April, correct? April. So a couple yep. months ago? Yeah, a few months ago. It's it's not much has changed, to be honest with you. <laughs> we were living together for a few years out here in Arizona before that. She was getting ready to kill me if I didn't propose. But we had a beautiful wed- wedding down in uh, in Cancun, Mexico. Uh, all of our friends, family, uh, had some of the teammates down. So it was it was a great time. And now she's she's real happy. So uh, hopefully we got some kids on the way soon. We got two dogs we're dealing with right now. So that's enough work for us at sure. the moment. But uh, hopefully after the season, once things settle back down, we'll be uh, I'll be a expecting father. So we'll hope hopeful. And you are in Arizona year round, correct? I'm in Arizona year round. Yeah, I do. Uh, I I work out in the off season, and I go do a little internship at a real estate firm here in town. So. It's uh, it's a nice little one-two punch. So I don't know if we're going to be going anywhere, anywhere, anytime soon. But eventually, we'll be down in Florida. That's where most of my family is. So going from the football field to real estate, it seems like it would be night and day in terms of the preparation and the mindset. Am I wrong, or is it similar? It's very similar. It's it's got the same camaraderie. I mean, you have like you have the the, the architect, then you have the GC, the general contractor, then you have the the person that's meeting and getting all the entitlements and the zoning and all these people have to work together. It's just like a football team. If one guy goes out and does his job, the architect designs this amazing building, but you can't build it for the right price or you can't get the zoning done or you can't get the financing right. It all falls apart. So you got the one quarterback, the kind of the rainmaker, the guy from our company's name is Jeff. He's the best. And he kind of puts us in position to make, he calls the play and then we all go out there and do our, our little jobs. I'm trying to figure out where I fit in there. Um, I don't know if it's a left guard or center, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it <laughs> Maybe works it's out. wide receiver. Exactly, exactly. Well, I hope you play football for the Cardinals for a long time. Uh, if you don't, if this is it, and you decide to go into real estate, I think you're missing out, man. You, you do pretty well with this. And I don't know if it's just your comfort level, because I've you know heard you over the years handle yourself very well with the media. I don't know if you've just always been comfortable, but you got good energy, man. I think you could do this for a living if you wanted to. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll co-host a podcast and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, man. We can we can pitch that. We'll we'll find we'll find uh, somebody to 
spend some money on that and write a check. Appreciate the time, Justin. Thanks, man. Awesome. Take care. Man, Justin was good. You could tell he's so comfortable with the microphone, had a lot of great things to say about his career, about Kyler Murray, and just the way he was able to break down the differences between being a guard and a center and then communicate to you guys. Hopefully you were able to follow him as I was. I thought he did a really good job of breaking everything down. Great stuff on his Syracuse career as well. And also congrats again to Justin on being a husband and potentially a father in the future. You can follow us on Twitter at PashPod. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. We've had a lot of great guests since we debuted the Dave Pash podcast last summer, going back to Kurt Warner, Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime, Vance Joseph, Buda Baker, J.J. Watt, Zach Ertz, and now Justin Pugh. We're going to take a little bit of a break, but when training camp starts in the end of July, we will have more guests on the Dave Pash podcast, and not just Cardinals guests. We had J.J. Reddick and Jeff Van Gundy and Mike Tirico and James Roday and Frank Caliendo on this podcast, and we promise to bring you some guests outside of the Cardinals building and also outside of football as well. Thanks again to Justin Pugh. Thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash podcast.